Welcome to a City of Reading podcast. Today, we are again talking about short-term rentals. We recorded an episode about ADUs and short-term rentals with planning manager Lily Toy in May of last year, but a lot has happened since then. A new proposed set of ordinances went before the city council late last year to address community concerns about short-term rentals affecting our neighborhoods. After a robust city council discussion, the ordinances went back to the planning commission for review and will be coming before the city council again on February 21st. Today, we talk with Development Services Director Jeremy Pagan about the new proposed ordinance changes, why they were proposed, and what those would mean for our community if adopted. There are strong opinions on both sides of the debate, with many claiming that short-term rentals bring tourism and TOT revenue into the city. However you feel about short-term rentals, this episode should give you more information about what will be discussed on February 21st and how to get involved if you'd like to join the discussion. My name is Jeremy Pagan. I'm the Director of Development Services for the City Ready. Thank you, Jeremy, for being with us here today. And we are here to talk about short-term rentals, which is a topic that has popped up a few times over the last year. It's been to council, back to planning commission. It's going back to the council again here shortly in February. So we want to talk about some of the reasonings behind it. How did we get here today? What are some good things about short-term rentals? What are some things that the city is looking to manage or help with ordinances to um, for those people who don't like short-term rentals in their neighborhood? And just really get a like a top-down overview on what's going on with short-term rentals. So to start, maybe you can just fill us in. What is a short-term rental? Sure. A short-term rental, as the name implies, is um, someone taking a single-family home, a single-family dwelling unit, and repurposing it for the, the, the point of a commercial use or a business. And they're renting out that property for a period of 30 days or less. So a long-term rental is defined as 31 days or more. And a short-term rental is defined as uh, renting out that unit for less than 30 days. So the topic of short-term rentals, it's not new. We've had them here in, in Reading for some time now, but obviously they've come back. The topic's arisen with the Planning Commission and with City Council. Why is that the case now? How do we get to where we are today? Sure. I, I think a big piece of that is we've seen some pretty explosive growth in the short-term rental industry in the past five years. So when we've looked at the data and what we presented to council, we did show that our number of permits has more or less doubled over, year over year for the past several years. And so we've seen our number of permits between vacation rentals and hosted homestays were up above 300 at this point. For the first few years of that ordinance, I think we had just a handful of permits, maybe a dozen, 20, 30, something like that. So it's, I think, coming to a head because largely we're seeing a lot more of these permits out in our community. And then as we've seen that growth, I think we're just hearing more from the community when we notice the neighborhood that a short-term rental is going to be proposed in the neighborhood. We're getting a lot of phone calls, emails, and questions and concerns from the community about, okay, well, what is this? You know, more or less, I don't want this in my neighborhood. And that's what started the conversation probably six months ago, eight months ago when it was, when, uh, if you recall, council was considering the the temporary moratorium on these short-term rental uses. And so from there, council elected not to impose the moratorium, but directed staff to Hey, look at our ordinance, see if, see what revisions need to be made and come back to us with uh, your recommendations. So staff did that. We brought it back to city council probably four or five months ago. Council provided further direction to staff on here's what, what we would like to see in terms of ordinance language changes. We brought that back before planning commission a few months ago, a couple months ago, and planning commission provided their thoughts, their recommendations on the proposed regulations. And now here we are today taking that all that whole long story there we're taking that package back to city council with planning commission's recommendations 
for their consideration on what they'd like to do. So that's the long story, I think, of how we went from um, sort of short-term rentals being off the radar and the ordinance more or less doing what it's doing to now the community providing us feedback and us taking another crack at this ordinance language and determining what city council wants to do with it. And if growth has doubled here in Reading, I would imagine that same growth is happening in other cities. I mean, is this something that's fairly unique to Reading because we do have a good tourism offering here or is this something that's happening all over? Yeah, definitely not unique to Reading. Happening, happening, I think, across the board. We've seen short-term rental growth really across the nation as a market. I know it's been growing in the last three to five years. And so, no, it's not unique to our area and other jurisdictions throughout California and the research we've done here and staff has looked into. They take varying approaches to this problem, but it is a it is a common issue for, for jurisdictions to wrestle with in terms of how are we going to regulate these, what requirements are going to be imposed, and ultimately, how many of these are we going to permit? Do we have the extreme of outright prohibiting them or a moratorium, or do we let them have an unlimited amount permitted in our jurisdiction? So not a unique issue that we're facing. Um, I, we just, I suppose, need to come up with some of our own unique solutions to it. Jeremy, I'm curious, how much do you attribute the growth of the short-term rental industry here in Reading and really, I guess, nationwide, but specific to Reading to sites like Airbnb and Verbo that that obviously make that process of renting a short-term rental a whole lot easier and maybe build some trust and make folks you know, more comfortable finding and renting a short-term rental than, than they had in the past? I, I do think that's a huge part of it. We have a, a software we use to analyze the listings that are happening online. And that's one way we can determine who's operating with a permit and who is not operating without a permit. And I think on last check between Airbnb and VRBO, certainly the two bigger ones, there was seven or 800 listings for the month. Now that's not in individual listings of properties. I think that's like 300 properties, but there's properties that list on multiple services. So certainly with the advent of, of those services, the web, you know, able to advertise online, that's definitely fueled some of the growth uh, for sure in the past five years, no doubt. Jeremy, for the purposes of today, maybe you can summarize what are the complaints about short-term rentals? What do people say that they don't like about them? And then what are the arguments saying that you know short-term rentals are good for our community and that we should have more of them? Yeah, sure. So I will start with the complaint side of the coin. Largely what we hear is that um, people want their neighborhoods preserved. So they want to see that a business use doesn't come in and, and sort of that use isn't compatible with the single family zoning of their neighborhood. And I, I think there's some, some truth to that, certainly that it is a different type of use. And so there's just a general broad concern of that. If you get into the specifics then of what that might look like, um, people are concerned about parking, certainly bringing in multiple families, large gatherings, throwing parties at these short-term rentals, and disturbing the neighborhood that way. Certainly you think of noise complaints and parking complaints and the like. So those are just sort of your day-to-day concerns and complaints that we see from short-term rentals. Next to that would be, I think housing stock is a more general global concern that people have, right? That if we have three or 400 of these units in our our city, that's three or 400 single-family homes that are not on the market, not for sale. And it's certainly affecting the availability of homes and the affordability of homes. So Broad strokes, that's, I think, the that side of, of the equation. Uh, in terms of the arguments for short-term rentals and how they're a benefit, certainly as an alternative way to come here and stay in our city while you're a tourist, 
I think for tourism, it's big. You know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, certainly I've used short-term rentals before in my personal life. And so I see the value there. They bring in transient occupancy tax revenue for the city. They promote the city. They generate business for the city and they generate employment for those that operate short-term rentals and those that property manage them and clean them and provide those services. And so definitely an, an economic driver for the city too. So you see sort of, you know, those are just quick summary statements of, of like you like you said, we can get into the nitty gritty or the, the, the five or six hour long planning commission meeting will give you a lot of those details. But broadly speaking, those are the two sides to, to the problem. Well, and Jeremy, too, it seems like of those few hundred that you mentioned, not everyone has been a problem STR, right? I mean, there's maybe some bad apples, as it's been referred to, of some folks who are abusing the system or having those large parties or generating those noise plays or whatnot. And it's it's not a, across the board. What's the thought process from the city's perspective behind not cracking down or enforcing more of those bad apples or folks who aren't abiding by the current rules versus making these changes across the board that will af- affect everyone if things go through? Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, like anything in life, right? The few the few bad apples spoil the bunch. So um, there are a lot of good STR operators out there. We have, like I said, close to 300, 270 permitted vacation rentals. And many of them, we don't hear complaints about. Many of them, we, we don't hear anything bad about. So in terms of how do you regulate um, so that you're not regulating just based on the few bad actors, I think that's a a balance we have to strike. And that's a balance that planning commission and city council are going to attempt to strike here moving forward. So really that's, that's what has to happen. We, We will try to do better based on council's direction here coming up in the future on enforcement of those that are breaking and violating the rules, try to do a little bit better there. Also what we are, if we have the staff and resources, what I'd like to try to do is make a more of a concerted effort to find those that are out there operating without a permit at all. That's been brought up at public hearings and public meetings, and it's a good point. And so in terms of us figuring out who's out there just blatantly not following the rules and operating without permits, um, I think it's important that we spend some effort reaching out to those folks and and getting them permitted as uh, as well. So that will be some work we do moving forward. What are some of the bigger changes that would come to pass if the new ordinances were passed? Yes. So the biggest potential change is what we're calling a density requirement. The current ordinance, and you're absolutely correct, Katie, there is a current ordinance that's been around for since I think 2017. But the current ordinance doesn't define a hard and fast density number or a limit or a cap to how many of these short-term rentals can be permitted. And and so it's the language in the current ordinance says something to the effect of we can approve or deny an application based on proximity to other vacation rentals, quote unquote, proximity is not defined. And so it leaves us with a lot of discretion. It leaves some gray area. It can be difficult to determine whether to approve or deny these applications. So I think that um, the proposed one of the biggest pieces of proposed language is this density cap, whereby we would limit the amount of short-term rentals based on a, a measurement or a radius. So as proposed, it's a thousand feet between short-term rentals on the same street, 500 feet if you're on different streets, and 300 feet separation if you a big arterial a roadway or a creek or river separates the two properties. So again, these are just proposed at this point. It's for council's consideration, but that's probably one of the biggest potential changes is a density limit uh, or a cap on the amount of these short-term rentals that can be permitted. A couple others I'll highlight. One, we have here 
total number of rentals, it's proposed to potentially be 400 throughout the city, although planning commission didn't support that one. Others would be smaller, maximum occupancy, um, increasing the required parking. Right now, the ordinance says one parking space, off-street parking space per bedroom. The proposal is to add one additional space, reducing the site manager's response time to make the site managers respond a bit quicker. And I won't go down the list for a few other more of the details, but largely I would say it's your density limit, your cap uh, proposed there um, are probably some of the bigger proposed changes. And again, the the smaller details, folks can go and look at the, the agendas or the meetings specifically. STRs are not unique to Reading. With regard to these ordinance changes and kind of these topics in general, I'm guessing that many communities are struggling and coming up with solutions around these same topics. Are there current best practices that we're also abiding by or other cities that are doing this really well that we're using as a model? Or is it really kind of we're going off of what planning commission and council in the community feels is best for our community specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, A little bit of both, I think. Um, Staff has done research with other jurisdictions when we've come up with some of these suggested regulations for council's consideration. And then, you know, I'm not sure when the ordinance was originally developed. I have to imagine that we looked at what other jurisdictions were doing and and maybe, you know, followed their lead a little bit, but there are, you know, a density limit and cap is common. I would say throughout other jurisdictions where they either go by zoning district area of the city, what have you, but they do something to limit and don't just let these grow unabated uh, without limits. So that's pretty common. Off-street parking uh, requirements is fairly common with other ordinances that I've seen. So I don't. I guess to answer your question, um, Stephen, I, I don't think we're getting too creative in terms of we're, we're the only jurisdiction doing a couple of these things. These, these are some common approaches. I think where the distinction will lie is how much of this regulation does council end up keeping and how much of it do we do we do do they not accept and so just trying to find that balance again there are other jurisdictions like right like we talked about flat out prohibit these or other jurisdictions that have really really strenuous requirements i don't think we're there yet nor do i think we'll get there but i would say we're largely in line with it seems to me like middle of the road um in the other jurisdictions i've looked at in terms of our approach to how we regulate these well and there were a couple line items in there that I thought were like a bit excessive. If I was just going to put my personal opinion on it, like the parking one, I think it it's one parking space per bedroom. Well, if you have one family staying, they probably only have one car there, but the STR would be responsible to have four or five parking spaces available. Correct. What do you say to some of these things that feel like it's such a big ordinance? It feels like some things you have to you have to hit pretty hard, you know, to limit the, I would say, abuse of it, right? And then other things, it feels like they're so, they're, they they vary so widely. How do you come to a solution that feels like it's fair for everybody? Yeah, that's a difficult, that's a difficult question. And that's what our planning commission and city council has before them in terms of finding that balance. But you know, with parking, that that does come up a lot. Parking does come up a lot. I mean, the reality is it's probably one of the more common complaints we get is, you know, an STR coming through, they've got, you know, three or four cars parked on the street and they're taking up street parking. And because we are regulating them like a business, that's why they, they're considered a commercial business use. We require, we have parking standards for our, all our other types of uses and require that of all of our commercial, other commercial uses. So it does make sense to have a standard. Now, whether it's too much, like you mentioned, I think it's sort of probably in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I know when I've traveled with my family, yeah, generally we're all packed into one car and that's it. And I don't, I personally have never thrown a party at a short term rental. So, uh, but I know it happens. And so um, 
Striking the balance is difficult, but yeah, there, there is some of these proposed regulations where your response time, your parking spaces, your maximum bedrooms, the longer we make the list of regulations, admittedly, the harder it is to enforce too, right? As a city. So we want to strike a balance and try to find the regulations that, that make the most sense. And also I think do the greatest amount of good for the community and council is going to have a tough decision ahead of them, I think, in, in terms of weighing weighing both sides. You know, one other thing I might mention in terms of proposed changes that's big is the notification area. So council has been big on trying to get the neighborhoods more involved and giving people a voice. So they're proposing right now a thousand foot radius on each of these permit applications, which is a lot. One permit application could potentially generate two to 300 mailings, notifying everyone around you within a thousand feet of what you're proposing to do. That could be quite onerous for staff to pull off. It could be a really time consuming, but you know, in, in the spirit of public transparency and trying to engage our community, it could also be good. Also, one other thing is if one person of those 300 objects to your short-term rental use as drafted, that could potentially require a planning commission hearing. So trying to get the public more engaged and more involved in the process is good, but it comes at a cost of a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy to get these short-term rentals permitted. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm curious too, with regard to the hotel industry, I would imagine in general, the hotel industry is not a huge fan of short-term rentals. I could be mistaken, but I imagine that eats into their guest rate as well and their heads on beds. How, if at all, has the hotel industry and the hoteliers themselves been involved in the short-term rental conversation thus far? That's a good question. They haven't been involved in the latest rounds yet, but I know they were involved pretty heavily when the ordinance first came to be. And from what I heard, and this is secondhand, I'll just say that out, out, out loud. I don't know for sure because I wasn't involved, but I believe the hoteliers were supportive of the ordinance and likely supportive of short-term rentals, broadly speaking, in terms of just bringing more tourism and people to the area. I believe they just wanted to have them be treated fairly in terms of, hey, if they're going to operate this way, they should be paying the same taxes and fees and licenses, licensing fees that we have to as hoteliers. So I be, that what I heard was that was largely their take, um, but again, that was you know back when this ordinance first came before council. Currently, there hasn't been a lot I've heard from the hoteliers, and I don't believe staff has either with this latest iteration because I don't know that it affects them too much uh, at this juncture. It's more focused on uh, regulations that will really be imposed on and affect our short-term rental operators. So uh, I, I guess, Steve, to answer your question, not too much from the hoteliers at this point. Uh, it's been fairly quiet, um, at least as far as more, from where I'm sitting. As you mentioned earlier, I mean, it is a lot. It's a big It's a big decision. It's a lot to put on the planning commission. It's a lot to put on the council. I believe the last planning commission, there were a couple public comments that said, you know, why don't we have a committee about this and bring some people from the short-term rental community, some people who are against the short-term rentals, maybe the hoteliers are in part of that mix or, or however the city would decide to um, do a committee. Is that is that on the table at all? Is that something that's being talked about? It did come up in the public hearing process. I haven't had a lot of discussions yet with the city manager about it. I believe we'll know more on that question, though, with our upcoming council meeting here on the 21st. If that's council's direction and that's where they want staff to go, I think I would just, you know, I'd work closely with city manager Tippin on it and we'd figure out perhaps what other things need to come off our workload here down here in development services so we could accommodate a committee process. Because it can be quite time consuming, of course, and involved and as it should be, because that's the point. There's different levels of committee too. You could have a brownout committee that 
that is subject to those requirements and has appointments from city council. We could make it a director-led committee, which is a little less in terms of work. It's a little less because it, it really revolves around me selecting a committee of individuals to come together and come up with some ideas to present back to uh, our governing bodies. So I, I have heard, uh, I think from the dais and at public hearings, that a committee is something people are looking for. I just don't know yet if that's going to be direction um, from council and from city manager. If it is, we'll have to figure out how to make it happen. And I think it's doable. We might have to table a couple other efforts we're working on now to to give that priority. But uh, certainly some good could could come from it, uh, of course, if we had people on both sides of the issue as part of that committee and perhaps made it a a smaller committee so we could be a little more efficient and kind of lean and mean, maybe five, six, seven people from both sides of the issue. I could see that being productive. So at this point, too early to tell, but perhaps it'll go that way and we'll have to figure out how to make it happen. And Jeremy, for community members who maybe either haven't been aware that this conversation is happening or who want to lend their thoughts, their voice. I know you mentioned there's been a handful of public hearings and public meetings already. You talked about how the second council meeting in February, on February 21st, this, this will be discussed by council. If they want to provide feedback at this point, is their best course of action to show up at that council meeting on the 21st to email at their council member, or is it too late in the process to provide their input? Yeah, definitely not too late in terms of the the, the council meeting on the 21st show up to that meeting on the 21st, um, provide your your emails and your thoughts to council members. I know they get uh, a lot of those and I know they read them and those also get forwarded on to, to uh, other city staff for us to consider. So getting involved in that manner, uh, I think showing up is, is really pretty critical. It seems like the public meetings up to this point, we've heard a lot from the folks that are um, STR operators and have businesses and have interest in that respect. We haven't heard as much from the other side, although we we do get emails and, and phone calls. But I think um, when it comes down to it, show up at city council on the 21st and provide your thoughts and comments to council so they can hear directly from the community. Otherwise, they're always welcome to email myself or email our planning manager, Lily Toy, or our staff. And we're always happy to, to respond to those inquiries. We also have a general planning email inbox that we check as well. And that can all be found on uh, Development Services uh, webpage at the city's website. As a reminder, we are really looking for community feedback for this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for episodes, please email us at podcast at cityofreading.org. We'd love to hear from you and incorporate those questions into future episodes.